Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. In this episode, we look back at what went wrong for the Winnipeg Jets and their loss to L.A. and look ahead to the Vegas Golden Knights Thursday night. And also Derek Taylor joins me to chat about the CFL, the Blue Bombers, and the legacy of Justin Medlock on the podcast. Let's get right into things with the Winnipeg Jets, who last night lost the game and lost Gabriel Velarde. It was a fun game for a period. Winnipeg Jets were the better team in the first period. They looked a lot like they did the first two games. Good pace, good energy, good chances. Couldn't score, though. Josh Morrissey shot, hits the crossbar. People think it's in the red light, briefly goes on. Not that that matters in the year 2023. We still do the red light, even though it really doesn't matter at all. We thought maybe it went in, and then the crowd sees the replay and says, and it was kind of incredible how there's this collective on the first replay look because of the angle. The crowd cheered because they thought it was in, and then they showed the overhead. And the crowd realized it wasn't it, and it's a collective groan. But after that, it was all L.A. Pierre Luc Dubois scores, lots of boos. The refs make some mistakes. Cole Perfetti gets, as he said, smeared into the boards. And there's no call. In fact, the Jets end up on a penalty kill. And now they're down to 11 forwards and five defensemen because Dylan Sandberg has 17 minutes and penalties to serve. Yeah, not, not great. And then the... They just play poorly in their own end as well. Connor Hellbuck allows five goals. He's now allowed gulp 13 through three games. Jets have allowed 4.67 goals per game. That is the worst mark in the NHL. That's not what we expected. And now Gabriel Velarde is out. As the forward who got his leg twisted awkwardly, he got tripped by Blake Lazat in last night's first period. He goes down and that's it. All of a sudden, through just three games, the injury bug bites again, and the Jets now have to adapt. And so we get the update today from Rick Bonus on Gabriel Velarde's condition. Also, Mason Appleton wasn't at practice today either. So here's the coach. Gabe has a sprained MCL, and he's out four to six weeks. No operation needed. Uh, he'll just get treated every day, but there's no operation, but he's out long-term. Uh, Mason was uh, maintenance. We fully expect Mason to play tomorrow. David Gustafson yeah. into the lineup tomorrow night for Gabe? Gus comes in tomorrow. The line makeup will depend on how uh, Apple feels tomorrow, so I wouldn't read too much into what you saw out there today. We just kind of had to throw some things together, so we had four lines. So uh, when we have a better idea on Mason tomorrow, we do fully expect Mason to play tomorrow. But let's be sure in the morning, and then we'll have we'll have clear vision of where we're going. So when he says what we saw today might not be what we see tomorrow, Declan Chisholm was the fourth-line winger, so that's not going to happen. Rasmus Kupari got bumped up to the top line. We saw Nino Niederreiter on line three with Vladimir Mestikov moving up to the second-line center between Cole Perfetti and Nikolai Ehlers, so already a thought that it's not going well enough for Perfetti at center three games into the season. Looks like Mason Appleton, uh, according to Kelly Morris, projected that he'll be the top-line winger with Mark Scheifele and Kyle Connor, David Gustafson on line four with Kapari and Barron, and then the, the D pairings. We saw Brendan Dillon and Neil Pionk yesterday. 
or uh, in yeah for party yesterday it was a rough game for brendan Dillon and not just him but a lot of players so it's not a great game but uh, back to Velarde and uh, bonus on the four to six week timeline he gave there i'm just going by what they tell me right they tell me four to six i'm going to say four to six so How do you feel for him? I feel terrible for him. Listen, he's a big part of our team, and uh, you know he was on the number one line, he number one power play, and he looked good doing it. He worked very hard all summer, and uh, he was a really good fit for for KC and Mark. And it's unfortunate that happened, but that's uh, yeah. It's something he's had a tough time with injuries. Hopefully, this is it for the year, and he comes back, and he'll be a major contributor as the season goes on. Okay. Is there? I don't know if relief is the word, but. Is there fears? I mean, it's not a terror, right? So, could have been, could have been, worse. could have been a lot worse. And then he would have needed an operation. Then he's done for a while. And then even the rehab after that becomes a lot, a lot more strenuous. So, uh, we'll take the worst, the best case scenario is a sprain. We'll take that. Okay, so let's go to line two there and why Nemestnikov was centering Cole Perfetti and Nikolai Ehlers. We're not creating enough offense with the second line. We're just not. It, it might look good flashy at times, but there's no consistent offense from, coming from that line. So Vladi and Nick had great chemistry at the end of last year, so we're going to give that a go. Vladi will play center and we'll move Cole back to the wing. What kind of benefits can there be for him to be on the wing and just sort of worry about that responsibility? Played more wing here than he has center. And again, to be fairness to the kid, he hasn't played a lot of hockey in three years, right? Now we're saying, here, we're going to throw you into the center ice and see how it looks because I know we drafted him as a center. Um, it probably takes a little pressure off of him. He, he's very hard on himself. Takes a little pressure off of him. And again, it goes back to the chemistry that we saw between Vladdy and Nick last year. And we're hoping that creates itself again. And that will that will help Cole. If those two guys can pick it up where they left off, that's going to help Cole. But right now, uh, that line's just not generating nearly enough consistent offense. So we've got to give it a different look. And the blender is out already. On the back end, why? Changing up the pairings so that Pionk's now with Dylan and Schmidt's with Sandberg? I thought we turned the puck over way too much last night. I think we got it. We're at our best. We're getting back and we're moving the puck out and we're coming out with speed. We did that for the two games and we did it for the first period last night. And look at all the chances we created. As the game wore on, we, we, we just we stopped moving the puck well. Um, and that's a big part of our game. So we'll look at um, a change or two there. Yeah, I don't know if that's solving the problem and players that were together made the right plays and I guess you're making change to change things up but okay uh what about Hellebuck uh, we know he's not playing tomorrow it's gonna be Lauren Persuade but the numbers are not good so far 13 goals on 83 shots that's a 438 goals against average and 843 save percentage that third goal that's all on the forwards not picking up that late guy that's all on them that's you know there's not much a goal he's going to do on that a couple scrambles, yeah. So I thought we let him down last night in those, some of those goals. But, again, regardless, uh, LB was going in tomorrow night. But we, 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 we can't give up that third goal as easy as that. That guy was standing still in the far corner, and he skated from the far corner to the net front. Um, so those things are all on our forwards. That, that's their responsibility. Yeah, they're not all on Hellebuck. The, the second Trevor Moore goal was a bad goal. That's, that's one of the... Honestly, I th- and I, I didn't see a replay that showed it deflect. If it went straight in, that's one of the worst goals you'll you'll see Connor Hellebuck give up. But in terms of who is getting the start, yes, it is Lauren Persuade getting t- to go against his former team. And this was something that was not a surprise to him. If I was a betting man, I probably would have assumed this is the one that I would go, and, and I'm happy that it is. 
I would have to think you feel pretty good about uh, the preseason you had uh, in getting ready for this, though. Uh, uh, you know, with those starts that you had. Yeah, absolutely. I felt uh, I felt good coming out of the gates. I felt good uh, leading up to camp and and through camp and in the preseason. So. I'm just looking to maintain that and, and keep pushing forward. How far in advance did you know this would be your game? It was about a few days ago. I'd say three or four days ago they, they let me know. So this is against the team that he won a Stanley Cup ring with, and does he know if he's going to get his ring this week? I haven't asked, and, and I, I, I'm not sure yet. I'm uh, just trying to focus uh, my attention here. In the ring, though, it's. Uh, what did you think of it? It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah. No, I'm excited. I'm excited to get it. It, uh, it looks pretty fantastic. See uh, a tough challenge anytime you face Vegas, and they seem to have picked up kind of where they left off with a four and zero start here. So expecting a, a tough battle tomorrow. Yeah, it's a it's a great challenge for us. Getting a team that's, I mean, you know, mid-season form, I think that's that's a great challenge for us and a great opportunity for a big confidence booster if, you know, if we could take it to them early and, and throw the, you know, play a full 60 minutes against them. And he sees no issue or has really any worry with the emotional aspect of going against his former team? So far, I haven't I haven't seen it um, being being that difficult. Uh, I, I've been pretty hyper-focused on what I got to do here. Um, you know, I, I feel like I still have a lot to prove and, uh, and so I've been kind of obsessively focused on improving my game, and uh, selfishly, um, that's kind of just let me really not focus on what's going on over there. What, what is top of the list of what you feel you need to prove at this stage? You know what, I got a taste of it, um, and, you know, it's, it's great and all, winning a Stanley Cup, but, uh, you know, I, it still didn't uh, satisfy uh, fully. I, you know, you want to be the guy in the net at the end of the, the last game, and, um, and so I got a taste of it, and, and I definitely it's motivated me to want more. And he wants to put a good season together and perhaps be a starter again somewhere next year. And uh, um, Rick Bonus was also asked about Brissois starting tomorrow night. Little Birdie just told us that LB is going to start tomorrow. That would be LB himself. <laughs> that would be a big birdie. <laughs> that would be an eagle, that one. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yes, LB's going in. Was that always kind of what you eyeballed as his first or just obviously Vegas being the, the, the history there? Well, with- regardless if it was Vegas or not, that was the game we, we, he was going to play. We're going to get uh, Helly in for those first three. And the way the schedule is, there was definitely, uh, he was definitely going to play that game. It happens to be Vegas, but that was the game we want to get him in. And we'll get him in again next week as well. Like what you saw, obviously, from him in the preseason and expecting him to just kind of pick right up there? <laughs> we are and no listen you watch him in practice he was an incredible worker everything i heard about him in the summer he's, he's living up to like his work habits is uh, being a good teammate being great around the room and everything he's he's everything we heard of. i heard about him these guys obviously know him a lot better than i do but uh he, he's done a great job for us so far now we need he needs to play some games and he'll get that starting tomorrow night Winnipeg Blue Bombers annual Legacy Gala Dinner is going on right now at the convention center. So instead of dragging Derek Taylor away from his nice dinner, we decided to record our regular weekly chat beforehand. So as the Bombers gear up for their final home game of the regular season, we chat about the goings on with the team and the CFL. I I could ask you if Dalton Jones is going to play on Saturday. I know you don't know the answer to that. So I guess the better question is, does it matter if he plays on Saturday? I'm not sure it does, right? Like, there's no question it makes them worse if Dalton Schoen doesn't play, right? Because this is a guy who could have for two years, his first two years in the league, his first two years in Canada 
could have led the CFL in receiving. So to to take him and replace him with Brendan O'Leary Orange or Greg McRae or however they're going to do it, uh, it, it, it makes them worse. But to what extent, uh, I don't think it's enough for them to, to fall to Edmonton. And, I mean, they just have to win one of the next two games or hope that BC loses its game. And so it ultimately, as we were thinking through it today, Dalton's got four weeks to be healthy before the next game that, that really matters, right? The West final. So uh, if he plays, if he doesn't play, I don't think it's a big, I don't think it's a big uh, factor in Saturday's game. Uh, that's a, there's, I can't imagine a way he plays, honestly, just because uh, he's missed the first two days of practice. And previously when Dalton has missed practice, he's been at practice. He's been talking to receivers. He's been hanging out with the other guys and stuff like that. We have seen hide nor hair of Dalton shown. So, I would be stunned if he plays Saturday against Edmonton. And again, if you're 60, 70%, there's just no reason to play him because they have the weapons. This is why they went out and got all the the depth they have at wide receiver. They've been very healthy this year at the wide yeah. out position. And now they, that depth gets slightly tested, but they have Lawler. They've got Bailey who hasn't had a lot to do in the offense this year. And Waltarski and Dembski, Oliveira in the backfield. I mean, you can just list them off against almost any team. They should be fine, especially against a team like Edmonton that has looked better over the second half of the season, but still isn't a great team. Yeah. And, and within those players that you mentioned, they have the flexibility to kind of bring in whoever they want. If they bring in Brendan O'Leary orange, or they bring in Greg McRae, those are two totally different receivers, right? Bolo is essentially, he's a wide receiver. They'll cast him on the wide side. That's it. Greg McRae's uh, a slot weapon. So, in guys like Rashid Bailey and Kenny Lawler, the Bombers have guys who have played both outside and inside. So today we saw, okay, well, uh, Kenny Lawler has moved back inside. They moved Drew Wolitarski to the wide receiver on that short side of the field. O'Leary Orange goes in on the wide side of the field, and everything everything's hunky-dory, right? To have guys, one, who are very good, and two, who haven't been getting as much action as their, their talent might be, a guy like Rashid Bailey, they also have guys who are flexible, and not not every player can do that, and we can tell that because not every coach does that with players when these situations arise. So uh, the Bombers, I mean, this is this is them being truly blessed in uh, having Kenny Lawler return this offseason for a, a reduced fee. They're able to get this, put out a really good receiving core, even if they have lost their best player. We don't expect the BC Lions to lose Friday at home to Calgary. The Stamps do need that game, and BC, again, trying to keep their slim, slim hopes of hosting the West Final alive. But is it better for Winnipeg if Saturday's game matters or not? Do you think it doesn't matter? I think it doesn't matter, really, because before like the BC game is on Friday, the Bombers have to declare their roster for Saturday before that game even kicks off. Right, So they're going to go, okay, well, this guy's in, and this guy's out, and this guy's back, and this guy's not. They'll, that'll all be long done. And then the changes you can make after that, you're really not supposed to make a bunch of changes after that. And I think it's probably not kosher to go, oh, hey, by the way, now that we know what's happening, we're going to take all this stuff out. And you guys who have not practiced really together, uh, you're in. So I, I think Saturday's game, you know, you could see some tinkering within the game of – hey, uh, Brady's done enough in this first half and we don't need to win because BC lost. So let's get Johnny Augustine some action, things like that. But there's going to be – you couldn't do the full overhaul to the offensive line, for example, 
and rest your rest your tackles if uh, you know just depending on what happened on Friday because you, you just will not be able to you could do that next week for Calgary but the changes they could make won't be substantial Speaking of the Calgary game, Calgary and Saskatchewan, they're stuck in that turtle race for the third seed in the West Division. Calgary completely stole a game to save their season against Saskatchewan. Calgary at BC Friday, Toronto at Saskatchewan Saturday. A Stamps win combined with the Riders' loss. Stamps are in. A Riders' win combined with the Stamps' loss. Riders are in. Do you see either scenario happening this weekend? Ooh, I kind of want the last week drama. So no, like Saskatchewan's not beating Toronto. Um, no, from what we've seen, no, <laughs> no. Um, from what we've seen from Toronto's uh, injury report, like uh, it all looks like Chad Kelly's going to play, unlike how he did uh, with the game here. So they may not have this player or that guy, but it looks like they're going to have and be willing to run out most of their first team. So uh, Saskatchewan's in a in a world of hurt and thus opening the door for. For Calgary, I really would like the the drama of the final week of of Ryder fans waiting, going, man, I hope Winnipeg beats the heck out of Calgary because we really need this to six and twelve our way into the playoffs. Uh, that that would be good for final drama. It'd be good for the gamblers too, but it'd be uh, it'd be great for the uh, the drama at the end of oh man, what if we what if Craig Dickinson gets us into the playoffs and we happen to win a game? How do we fire him then? Right, that the, that whole storyline would be incredibly entertaining to me. Because there is a, a possibility that Toronto, you know, maybe plays their dudes for a half and then gives Saskatchewan an opportunity to know if Calgary lost Friday, hey, we just need to win this game and we're in. And then all of week 21 is rendered absolutely irrelevant with Winnipeg at Calgary, Toronto at Ottawa. And then the curiosity of Hamilton at Montreal on October mm-hmm. 28th, the week before they meet in the East semifinal. And you're just trying not to give away trade secrets, I guess, in that game. Yeah, take the under because ain't nobody going to be trying too hard in that one. You want to get out healthy, and you don't want to show them anything, right? You want to, you know, oh, okay, well, I think this is going to work next week, but let's not display it here in, in week uh, 21. It's uh, it's unfortunate, but that's how it's going to work out sometimes uh, when uh, at least at least there was kind of some jockeying, uh, potential for jockeying between Hamilton and Montreal. Uh, but Hamilton's the... Hamilton's the team I kind of I think Hamilton beats Montreal in that in that East semi and then I'm they're the one to me that has even a remotely a shot of knocking off Toronto in the East so I I'll be uh, keeping my eyes peeled for that one and we'll get to that as we get further down the road that's week 21 we got week 20 coming up this week uh, tonight the Bombers annual gala dinner as Justin Medlock gets set to go into the team's hall of fame is he the best kicker ever in the CFL in the- for me, he is for sure, and uh, it's it's interesting because we're in an era right now where you've got guys like Rene Paredes and Sean White with incredible longevity and great skill over that time, and you go, oh, White season this year might be better than something Medlock ever did. But Medlock did it for multiple teams over multiple years, and uh, just I mean, the guy kicked uh, had over seventy field goal attempts, including playoffs one year, like. He was the he was absolutely relied on as the Bombers were past the first couple of years of Mike O'Shea and starting into the Matt Nichols era. They relied a lot on Justin Medlock to squeeze out points. Oh, we're at the 48 yard line. Justin, go go get us three points because it's third and 15. Right? They he was such an important factor, and to me, he is the the one stat I keep going at with with Justin Medlock is. You can kind of track field goal kicks back pretty reliably to about 2005. 
since then, Medlock has the most attempts, 50 yards plus, of any kicker in the CFL. Not a surprise if you watched him played. But he's more than double number two. Like, no coach ever had any problem running him out from 55, 57. He nailed a 58-yarder for the, the Bombers in 2016. O'Shea had him attempt a 61-yarder to try to win a playoff game in Vancouver. Like, he, was, he was as good as it gets. And, and to hear the stories that O'Shea tells about him, uh, the ones that Sergio Castillo, who was teammates with him, uh, told about him. He was he was just, uh, every day working at mastering his craft. Even the the most minute parts of it uh, led him to be this this just kicking monster. And by the end of the time, he was doing all three jobs, which is an incredible value. So yeah, to me, Medlock's the best kicker I've ever seen in the Canadian Football League. Just with how it's progressed over the years and his incredible skill that he showed year in and year out. And he never missed converts. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's in the, the era after they moved converts back, right? Used to be nobody missed them, but they made them 32. And did he miss one in his career? I, I got to go back and check, but it was it was blue moon rare if he ever missed a convert. So CFL.ca stats are still not all-encompassing because we're cursed, but they have 2016 through 2019. He did not miss one in 16, 48 of 49 in 17, 52 of 52 in 18, and 54 of 55 for 194 of 196 in 71 games in four seasons. And we, you know, I remember back in 16 and 17, and and the team was getting better, but still wasn't quite there yet. And you kind of half joked like Justin Medlock was their MOP, but at the same time, you could make the argument he kind of was. (laughs) <laughs> you could have, right? They they relied on him a ton. It was they were trying to get this offense going, and and Bomber fans remember Matt Nichols and what he was and what he wasn't. You know, uh, like twenty twenty nineteen, the guy kicked sixty one in the regular. Or this is Converse. He just they'd always send him out. He'd always be hammering field goals. He he was a huge part of it. Whether ultimately it it made me wonder. Oh, what will the Bombers be like when Medlock is gone? Will they get more aggressive because they don't have this? absolutely reliable weapon and you know we can discuss that another time but yeah he was he was for a long time you know he was he was their best player like if you took positional value out of it I think Justin Medlock was the best player for quite a few years on those bomber teams and so he gets uh, honored on the weekend and I know from talking to him and I think I interviewed him after the Grey Cup in 2019. That may have been the only time I actually physically talked to him one-on-one in person. But, man, he's just such a humble guy, quiet guy that just went about his business and probably isn't going to be super comfortable with receiving these accolades on the weekend. Yeah, I think that's entirely fair when you, you know, if you're if you're me, and like, oh, my God, you're the best kicker there ever was. Uh, he and I chatted before I came to Winnipeg. Uh, he, I mean, he deflect, deflect, deflect. Oh, no, everything else is good. Yeah, it's fine. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Dang, dude! No one else is is doing what you're doing in the league. So yeah, he'll. I assume he'll have a he'll have a good speech because he's he's a good dude and a good talker. And you know, I think everybody kind of gets it, even though he'd probably. I mean, he just retired after 2019. He kind of went away after the the canceled year and just started living his life. And you don't hear too much like uh, Barry Sanders style from the NFL, right? Like, yeah, I was great. See ya. And and you don't really hear much of him again. So uh, having talked to him when the Bombers announced this, you know, he. He's doing real well. His life is his life is really good right now. So that's uh, that's kind of all you all you hope for. But yeah, he he has the amount of attention currently that he's comfortable with, and he'll be back so we can celebrate him. Uh, you know, hopefully not the last time.
and he turns 40 in five days, and he probably could still do it at a pretty high level. Uh, Derek, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this. Have fun at the gala tonight. Thanks, brother. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. Place.